This is Morning Jolt with Sister Ignatia from the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Morning Jolt is a production of Spoke Street Media. Wake up! Hello, it's Sister Ignatia, and here again with my friend, Sister Maria Gemma. Here still, actually. Here still. (laughs) We just, uh, yeah, we just have to continue the conversation that we started a while ago about race. And there's a lot of words that we just need to go through and understand and unpack. And one of them you mentioned during the last podcast was critical race theory. I'm afraid of the words altogether. It's a pretty big topic. So if you could just like maybe offer a definition and then explain. Yes. Not that you're an expert. No one's an expert here. I am not an expert. I might say something wrong. If I do. Hey, me too. I'm happy to apologize. Yeah. (laughs) I'm happy to be enlightened. (laughs) So contact us. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So here is a definition of critical race theory from Britannica.com from the website. It says, critical race theory, the view that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist and that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interests against people of color. So, wow. Okay. It's a pretty big wordy definition. Mm-hmm. There are some aspects of critical race theory that I've learned through my class and through my own reading. Some phrases that are used, such as interrogating whiteness, challenging the status quo, mm-hmm. these kind of things that sound really scary to white people. Yeah, because it's all we know. Because it's all we know. So, when we grow up in society, that is basically formed on the status quo, we never challenge the status quo or we never think to ask, well, why are things the way they are? We just kind of step into them being the way they are. And so critical race theory tries to kind of interrupt that process Mm -hmm. to actually have us take a step back and look at why things are the way they are. And basically it's a critical theory. So we're questioning, we're challenging Mm -hmm. We're looking for different ways, different meaning. I think critical race theory has a lot that we can learn from. I also just want to say at the start here that as Catholics, the Catholic Church actually has the fullness of truth. So we don't need to adopt critical race theory. So we don't need to be afraid of like, oh, critical race theory is communist and it's going to take over the nation and (laughs) going to infiltrate the church. (laughs) We just Can we just please set aside that fear? And just set it aside so that we don't have to be hindered from entering into dialogue. I'm not suggesting that we accept critical race theory as a central tenet of our faith. (laughs) Nobody's suggesting that. Okay. (laughs) It's just, can we look at it and find the true good and the beautiful Mm -hmm. in it? The church is so good at that. We've done that for centuries. Mm -hmm. We find the true good and beautiful in things and, and we use that. But we don't need to just afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is not something that we're like attacking on to our faith. It's finding what's already existing in the Catholic faith in these ideas and in like the good purpose it's trying to bring about. Like and we can for, notice that. For instance, one thing that I've especially appreciated is through my learning more of this through critical race theory, through reading these things, I've just learned a lot actually how to better live the church teaching It's just like the humanization, like it focuses Mm. on humanizing people and looking at other people as human beings worthy of dignity and respect, 
Now, I want to just say like one of the main teachings of the Catholic Church is that all humans are made mm -hmm. in the image and likeness of God and are worthy of dignity and respect. And to the degree that we treat people like things, yeah, we are not living up to that church teaching. And if something like this can make us step more into our humanity and realize that other people are just human too, mm -hmm. and that we're trying to walk this journey together, we might be more prone to enter into dialogue. Yeah, and that's what we want. And like the flip side of that, like, yeah, adhering to like the status quo and like move without thinking like that actually even dehumanizes those that are a part of the system that's broken. Like if I'm a part of a system that's broken, that's actually dehumanizing me too, right? Isn't yes. that part of like the... Yeah, absolutely. The goal is to humanize everyone on both sides, right? And to admit that there are ways that I have been dehumanized mm -hmm. by living in the system that I live in. And by treating others as things, I myself am dehumanized. And I feel like sometimes this pendulum can swing like way too far to the other side of like, okay, everything is wrong. Therefore, the term that kind of comes to mind is like colorblindness, like race should be non-existent or I shouldn't even see it or I, everyone's the same. Like, is that an appropriate, I feel like a lot of people adopt that kind of mindset. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And I think especially white people think that by saying, oh, I don't see color, they mean when they say that, yeah, I want to treat everyone the same and they think it's a good thing. But what I've learned through my classes and through my reading is that colorblindness to a black person basically means you don't see me. If you don't mm -hmm. see color, you don't see me because color has determined my entire life and everything that I have access to. And so to deny that and to say like, oh, I don't see color, well, Mm -hmm. that is something that maybe we can change our language on something that we can do a heart check and just say, okay. Yeah. yeah. And another thing, we don't have to be afraid to say the word black. Yeah. I, I hear a lot of people stumble. Okay. We don't know what to say. Yeah, that's we true. We say like, oh, uh, African-American people. Yes. Who are black. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> well, because I mean, I've noticed that like, well, actually that person is Haitian. So <laughs> like, or you think they're from Africa? I'm just, <laughs> like, it's hard to say. Or what does this yeah. person look like? Well, they have darker skin. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Race. <laughs> like, we don't need to be afraid of these okay. differences, yeah. right? So yeah. that's one way we can just cast out fear is let's okay. just not be afraid. Like right. I'm, I'm white. I have white skin. You're black. You have black skin. You're brown. You have brown skin. Mm -hmm. And let's just honor that in each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about these words as like, I don't know, like the white experience, like white parents quote teach their kids to be like colorblind, the difference doesn't matter, but saying that race actually determines and is a huge part of a black person's life. So like, yeah, what's the difference? Like, yeah, growing up with race being a huge determining factor in your life, how does that, like, yeah, just your experience of talking to different people? Yeah, so I would bet that no white person listening to this podcast mm -hmm has ever had their parents tell them how to behave when they go out in public with policemen. Mm. I, I mean, yes, you have to behave a certain way when you go in public, but to never show anger in public for fear that you might die and not come home, right? So like the black community, from what I've learned and from what I've heard multiple black men and women speak on is that there's a talk that you get as a black child of how to act in public because your parents are scared to death that when you go out, you might not come home. And a perfect example of that, so a little over a year ago, we had the killing of Ahmad Arbery, mm. who was a young 
black man who was out for a jog. He had a hoodie on. He was just out for a morning jog. And he was shot and killed by police officers. Man. And there was no reason for it. Mm-hmm. Or we have Breonna Taylor coming up whose home was invaded or George Floyd coming up in May, his uh, one year anniversary. And so this is a reality. And, and I think as white people, often we look on these situations and we can brush them off in a dehumanizing way. We can just mm-hmm. brush them off and say, oh, well, like, well, maybe George Floyd was on drugs and yeah. maybe that person actually did something wrong. OK, maybe. But. Does that mean it's okay to kill <laughs> to kill someone? Yeah. I mean, let's just pause for a second and just think about the humanity that yeah. we're dealing with here. And that it's like acknowledged it's vastly different from my experience. Like growing up, it's not like I grew up and seeing maybe something like that in the news then struck me with fear. This could be my experience too. Like that would never have crossed my mind. But there are a lot of people in this country where that is their experience. So like acknowledging that that's, yeah, like a huge reality to live with. Yeah. I I don't know. When I get pulled over by a police officer, which isn't that often, I don't usually, (laughs) (laughs) it's maybe once for speeding or something, but (laughs) when I get pulled over by a police officer, I don't have to wonder whether I'm going to come out of that situation alive. Yeah, I had a pastor, a black pastor in Fort Wayne speak about how when he gets pulled over by a policeman, his first thing is to put both hands on his steering wheel Mm-hmm. And just to wait like that so that there's no fear, there's no reason for the policeman to assume that you're going to be violent. Mm. And so just to have to live like that and to wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. And there is. Sorry, I just want to also yeah, add there, there is also a certain level of trauma with that. And yeah. I think because we don't experience that, we're insensitive to that trauma mm-hmm. that just actually just comes with having black skin. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if we can even just become more aware of that. Yeah, maybe this is a big deal and it wouldn't be for us, but maybe it is for them because just their color of their skin brings Mm -hmm. trauma in our country. Mm -hmm. I think another part of that, like, yeah, moving, I think you mentioned it last time of moving from like an us and them to a we is, um, I guess, like the, the quote us of white people, like dealing with, I don't know, the fear of like admitting some of these things are reality, like there's like just a part of it that we just have to like acknowledge. I don't know. And then how to even like step into the dialogue without like, we want to hear the experience that's not mine and honor it, but also like not say something wrong. I mean, you mentioned like, it's okay to use the word black and like, <laughs> like all these things like, yeah, how do you, yeah, step into the dialogue in a sensitive way, honoring the experience of someone else, but also like not be yeah, you don't want to say something wrong. But like, as we said earlier, we might, we might say something wrong. Like, And you know why that is? Why? Because we're human. Oh, wow. Amen. <laughs> and so come on, people, let's <laughs> not be afraid to be wrong. Okay. Where is it ever written that we have to get everything right the first try? Okay. And honestly, if we haven't been raised with this, if this is the first time you're hearing some of this, let me tell you something, you're going to get it wrong. But every black person I've talked to about this says they would rather you say something and get it wrong than not say anything. Wow. Have you been corrected in a dialogue with another like a black person and like you've been talking and they're like, actually, sister, this is how you should maybe say that. Or has that ever happened? It has. Yeah. Words matter. Hmm. And the way we say things matter. And Honestly, this happens in relationships. So like I said, this isn't some abstract thing. We're not out there just like, 
on Twitter tweeting at people hateful thoughts about <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is happening in relationship with people that I know. And so when I have the courage to step out and say something, they can then have the opportunity to say to me, actually, I find those words offensive and here's why. Mm. And that gives me the opportunity to say, thank you for telling me that. And not to feel offended myself or, mm-hmm. or defensive or hurt, but just grateful. Can we just have a posture of gratitude? Yeah. Thank you. Is it an okay like response? Like, yeah, thank you. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like now I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now I do. And I realize I need to educate myself. Mm-hmm. Like I admit my ignorance. I admit I didn't know any of that. <laughs> so so thank you mm-hmm. for getting me on this trajectory. Now I'm going to educate myself and see where that leads and see what mm-hmm. else I can learn and how it can actually change my life. And one other thing I want to say on this topic is people, I think when we're first confronted with all of this and we realize, oh my gosh, I didn't know this is so huge. Yeah. We kind of feel immobilized because then we think, what can I do? Right. Me, this one person. You know what you can do? is impact your sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to be the next civil rights march leader or anything huge. It means go to work, look people in the eye, say hello. It means read something. Mm -hmm. It means talk about race with your family and friends, especially if you're white. Don't be afraid to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of tension because I'll tell you what, I've talked to multiple sisters (laughs) even (laughs) about this issue and there are different responses. Sometimes it's defensiveness. Sometimes it's acceptance. Oh, what can I do? Sometimes it's just an inquisitive route. But don't be afraid. Just start talking to those around you and just talk about it so that it becomes a normal thing to talk about. Yeah. Could we maybe like end with a prayer for like those people like listening and like just, yeah, an encouragement to like have those conversations and like renounce some of that fear? And That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for the beautiful, diverse human family that you've given us. And I just thank you, Father, for bringing together in our country people of all races and ethnicities and cultures. Father, ask that you just send your spirit of unity upon our country, especially at this time, that we not be sidetracked or sidelined by fear or by dissension, but that you give us the courage to just walk that middle road, to walk that road of unity, to walk that road of dialogue and understanding and humility. And Father, we just ask that your promise in scripture that you've given us your spirit, that we have the mind of Christ. We ask you just to increase that in everyone listening, that we can start to think like you, to see others through your eyes to begin to recognize and be grateful for our own humanity and the humanity of every other person that we see. Father, we just give you all praise and glory. We ask this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As always, thank you, Sister Mary Gemma. Thank you, Sister. Okay. I hope you like religious life as much as I do. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, Contact us at our website, ssfpa.org. He leads, I follow. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.